Well, hey, Merry Christmas. What? It's, it's December. You guys are, half you guys are going to be gone next week. So, it's my only chance to wish many of you Merry Christmas. So, uh, are you ready to be done? How many of you just want to stay? Okay, I have like two people. All right. <laughs> well, some of you will stay because you live here, and that's going to be great. And uh, speaking of Christmas, um, this Thursday is our final Boundless Thursday for the semester, okay? And we are going to have a Christmas party. We're celebrating Christmas. Yep. The theme is flannel shirts. Not pajamas, because I thought about that for a second, and I was like, hmm, probably shouldn't do pajamas, not at the church. So, not that I, I don't think any of you would do anything weird, okay, but I thought, you know what, well, just flannels is a good theme. So, uh, we made the executive decision to go ahead and go with that one. And um, if you have already, you know, prepared for the PJs, and you need a flannel shirt, just ask Mitch. <laughs> right? I hear Mitch has lots of flannel. And uh, if you play your cards right, Mitch, you could rent some of these out and uh, make a little money here before, before break. Christmas presents. Thing. So I, I hear it's only 10 bucks a shirt. So if you, wanna, if you want a shirt for the night, just... Uh, sorry, I think I embarrassed him pretty, pretty good right there. <laughs> All right, that's what happens when I do announcements. Not good. It's at 7 p.m., so just think, you know, a number of you ask, what time is it? Where is it at? Just think, it's Boundless Thursday, okay? Don't overcomplicate it. Uh, 7 p.m., Ministry Center, come on out. Uh, We've kind of gotten too big to do it at anybody's house. So uh, we kind of have to, hey, thanks, Bailey. You're the man. Extra light. Um, we've gotten a little, little big, so we're going to do it at the ministry center, and that should be a good time. So come on. Uh, I think there's Minute to Win It games, is what I've heard. Is that right? And some snacks. Anything else to be prepared for? Fun. Festivities. Holiday cheer. Bailey's going to uh, tell us all of his favorite Christmas movies. Yeah? What's your, what you, what's your favorite one? All right. The Grinch with Jim Carrey. <laughs> wow, I got I got some like booze on that one. Wow, man. Okay. Well, hey, it's the last time I'll uh, tell you my favorite movie. Um, no, it's funny. Bailey and I have a, a, a fun little banter going back and forth because he, he really likes Christmas a lot. Uh, all things Christmas. He and Gabby both. So their house looks like Christmas Village. Pretty sweet. All right. Well, come on out, and uh, well, that'll be a fun time together. It'll be a great way to end the semester, and, um, and we're looking forward to it. So I think, that's, I think that's it as far as announcements go that I'm aware of. But um, we're looking forward to, we'll have some other, other guys that are going to be coming up. Some of our TES guys are going to be teaching over the break. So that's going to be exciting. We'll have some other things going to, like a pancake breakfast and different things uh, for those of you who are going to be here. 
So we'll send you a, an email with all of the dates and stuff for some of those things because it's we've got a holiday on uh, Sun. We have a Christmas. Christmas is on Sunday this year, and so is New Year's Day. So some interesting um, scheduling there. So just kind of be on the lookout for uh, what we're doing on those mornings. All right, let's open before the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for just our our friendships together. We're grateful for laughter and um, just the family atmosphere that you have created. And we're humbled uh, just by the fact that we belong to you and that we're part of your people uh, for all time. And we look forward to the day that you're going to return and take us to be with you and recreate this world and uh, allow us to reign in it. And Lord, we, we think about Christmas even now when we think about the, the incarnation in, in Philippians 2, like we've been in on Thursdays, and we think just how, how you humbled yourself to come to us and serve us. And Father, we think how you exalted your Son to the highest position, and, um, and we, we view him as a model. You've put him forward as a model for us to humble ourselves, to serve each other, so we pray that as the, the Christmas season comes, that you would help us keep that in mind and um, that we would just continue to be servants of Christ. And Lord, as we turn our attention to uh, our, our teaching time this morning, we pray that your spirit would just continue to illumine our hearts and help us to apply the things that we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning we are finishing up our series on spiritual maturity or what we've been calling uh, the Growing Up series. And we've seen how this is God's goal for every single one of His people. Right? We kind of began this at the beginning of the semester. And we've seen that He wants every single one of us to be mature, or as we've said, to, to think and desire and to act like Jesus, to do this consistently, not perfectly, but increasingly more and more. God wants us to live stable and steady lives that are governed by His Word. Not governed by what we feel or what we might think or what seems right to us, but only His truth. Instead of being dominated by our fleshly impulses, He is transforming us into a people who resemble His Son. A people who bear the fruit of His Spirit. And He's turning us into... Truly useful people, like we've said. People who can offer help. People who can offer hope to, other, to others. Uh, inside and outside the church. People who can have joy in suffering. And that's what it means to be mature in Christ. And that's His goal for every one of us. He's committed to it. And we saw that in the first lesson. And He's so committed to it, in fact, that He's provided everything that we need to make it happen. Right? We, we've, we looked at that. He's using every circumstance toward that glorious end in our lives. Or to say it another way, God uses particular means to bring about this transformation, to bring about this maturity. We've seen that He's given us His Spirit. The Spirit who brings life to our dead hearts. The Spirit who brings new power to us for change. We've seen that the Spirit also works powerfully through God's Word, His truth. He works powerfully through the truth to dispel the lies that we believe and to teach us what's real. And we've seen that the Spirit works in the truth or through the truth 
in a particular place, right? Where is that? In the church. The local church. Week after week, truth is taught, truth is sang, truth is reverberated among God's people. And finally, we've also seen this maturing work continues in the world. It continues as, as God brings trials and difficulties into our lives to cement what we, what we believe and, and how we act to conform us to the image of His Son. Even our sufferings are a tool in His loving hands to powerfully grow us to maturity. And so we've seen that God is committed to our growth. He's using these means to get us there. But we also play a part too, don't we? We've been looking at that really in the back, back half of the semester. God empowers us to exert effort in this process of maturation. In other words, it's not automatic. It doesn't just, God, doesn't just, God doesn't just zap us. We all come out of the spiritual womb, so to speak, as newborn infants, as babes in Christ, spiritually immature. We're often consumed with fleshly impulses, with deceived ways of thinking from our old selves. So, as God begins this renovating work in us, our first step is to take responsibility for our sin, right? To learn to respond to our sin in ways that please the Lord. Meaning we don't want to isolate, we don't want to despair over our sin, but we want to own it. We want to get it out in the light, in an honest confession. We want to look to Jesus alone for our forgiveness and power to change. And that's a huge aspect of the battle. We looked at that. And once we're owning our sin, next we learn to fight by faith in Christ. We learn to trust His words over what we feel or think. We've got to discern the lies that we're so prone to believe in the moments of temptation that to replace those lies with truth and yield our will to Christ's in that moment when we're tempted. So decision by decision, we learn to trust Christ above ourselves. We're exercising our faith muscle, so to speak. We're building that discernment that is so valuable. We're actually growing stronger spiritually as we fight by faith. Now, I realize that many of you were just, you were gone over the last two weeks over Thanksgiving break. And because I knew that, because I knew a lot of you were going to be out, I decided not to cover any more ground in this process. But I took some time and gave some examples of how we might work this process out uh, with anxiety, with, with lust. So our first case study was, the, was we kind of took a young lady who was dominated by fear, the fear of never getting married. Okay, We looked at that in depth, and we looked at step-by-step step how she might apply what we've been t- talking about to her struggle of fear. And then the second week, we looked at another case study, and it was with a kind of a young man struggling with pornography. And we did the same thing there. We looked step-by-step step at what this process would look like um, to apply to that struggle. And I think, I know at least that second one's online, and we're looking to see if that first one on fear is, is, got recorded and is online as well. So I would encourage you to take a listen to those if you missed those, because it helps really cement what we've been talking about um, in real time. So this morning you're probably wondering, well, <laughs> what's left to talk about, Clay? Like, what, we've, we've kind of been at this all semester, uh, 11, this would be week 11 of this series. And the good news is, is if you've followed along so far, you've been applying everything that we've been talking about. You know, not perfect, but you're kind of getting some categories and you're starting to work the angles here. The good news is that you are well on your way to maturing, to this 
spiritual maturity that we've been talking about. And one of the first things, though, about maturity, if you remember back all the way to that first lesson, is that even when someone reaches this sort of state we call maturity, they never arrive at perfection, right? They're always maturing. We're always growing. Um, We see that in Philippians 3. He says the mature people, people who are mature, realize that they're always growing, right? They realize that they're always making progress, Philippians 3. They have this mind among themselves that they're striving forward to make progress in Christ. Mature people are still growing in that maturity. They're becoming more and more mature. And the Bible has a particular image for this, okay? A particular image, a metaphor and it's the metaphor of a, like a fruitful life, a fruitful tree or a fruitful vine. The Bible describes a mature life as a, an incredibly fruitful life, a spiritually productive life. And that's what Christ holds out for all who follow him. For everybody who comes to him in faith, everybody who abides in him, he promises a spiritually fruitful life. Today what I want to do to, co- to conclude our series is to look at this life that the Bible holds out for his people. To look at, at some of the ways that we can continue to pursue this, this fruitful life. Or we could say it like this. We want to look at some of the pursuits for the mature to keep on maturing. Make sense? Some of the pursuits for the mature to keep on growing in that maturity. And before we get there, I just want to take a minute and look at a few texts together to see this image of fruitfulness. All right, so today we're going to be looking at living what we're calling living a fruitful life. And I want to set the stage by just starting with some texts that describe this image and kind of flesh it out for us a little bit. And then we'll jump into some of these pursuits. All right, one of the most notable texts in the Old Testament is in Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And you'll remember there that in the opening of the Psalter, God holds out for us this incredible promise of blessing to the person who is fixed on God's word, who's meditating on it, he says in the first two verses. Blessed is the man who who doesn't, you know, walk in the way of the wicked, essentially. But blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord. Day and night. He stakes his life upon the truth of God's word. He rejects all other paths. And then he promises something down in verse 3. And this is the verse I have for you on the screen. He promises that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So this man is compared, this man who's, who's fixed on the law of the Lord, is, who's meditating on it day and night, is, is compared to a tree. Here's our fruitfulness image. And that tree is a fruitful one. It's bearing fruit in its season. And then its leaf doesn't wither. So when it's hot, when, it's, when it, the, the trials of life are bearing down on it, because it's planted by those streams, transplanted by those streams of water, that it continues to bear fruit. And he tells us what this image means in the last clause there, in all that he does, he prospers. He lives a productive life, in other words. Spiritually productive, spiritually fruitful. So there's a general promise in Psalm 1. 
And this promise, we find in the New Covenant, is fulfilled in and through Christ the King. In John 15, Jesus himself, is, he compares himself to a vine, and he indicates that we must be attached to him. In other words, we must depend on Jesus in faith, trusting him, entrusting ourselves to his words if we're going to bear fruit. So notice what he says here over in John 15. We'll just pick, pick out a few of these verses. You can look at this whole chapter, it's very, very instructive for us. But in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So fruit bearing is bound up in, in Christ. It's bound up in abiding in him. To abide means we depend on his words. To use Paul's language, it's the, it's the renewal of our minds. It's the, the, the dis, dis, discerning our sinful thoughts and, sin, and, and deceptive, sin, deceptive thought patterns, forsaking those and entrusting ourselves to Christ, to His truth. That's abiding in Him. So Jesus compares Himself to a vine, says we must be attached to Him. He goes on to say, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, this is verse 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So notice the promise here. Notice how expansive it is. Jesus tells us if we abide, we will bear much fruit. Much fruit. Not just a little fruit, but a lot. He doesn't say life will be easy, though. In fact, if we were to go back in this chapter, we would see that there will be significant pruning from our Father, like the good gardener that He is. He's going to prune the branch, i.e. through trial, through difficulties through in life. He prunes us so that, why? We will bear more fruit. Life will involve trials and difficulty, but the end goal is fruit production, spiritual productivity, which looks like a life that's characterized, in this context in John 15, it's characterized by Christ's love, his self-sacrificing love for others, and it's characterized by his joy. So that's, that's the life that Jesus has for us, and it comes in and through abiding in him, this life of fruitfulness. And finally, we see this fruit is born through the activity of the spirit within us, that spirit we've been given. It's born as we learn to yield to the Spirit, or, or as, as Paul says in Galatians 5, to walk by the Spirit. Which again is similar ways of saying all these things, to abide in Christ, to renew our minds. This is the same overarching concept, to walk by the Spirit. And he says then that the Spirit is going to bear fruit as we learn to do this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's a fruitful life. A life that's spiritually productive is a life that's characterized by these things. Again, not perfection, but consistency. This is what the Spirit is actively seeking to produce in us as we're learning to fight sin by faith. And this morning, I want us to kind of look on ahead, kind of out, out, out like down the path a little ways, 
at what we can pursue as we're growing into maturity. As we leave kind of the crisis mode of besetting sin, so if you were in, in crisis mode, if you're in crisis mode right now, that's fine. That's where you're at. But the Lord is, is, is he's equipping you to fight by faith. And as you're learning to do that, as you're, you're, you'll kind of transition from crisis mode to enter a more stable life in Christ, but, but the pursuit doesn't end, right? The pursuit doesn't end. So what, what I want to do this morning is look at what I'm calling four simultaneous pursuits of a fruitful life. Now, I know this feels like a mouthful. Full simultaneous pursuits. of Intentional in that language. Because this, this is not a step-by-step. Okay? These are things that are happening together. They're simultaneous. They happen at the same time. And this is a, this is a, a fruitful life. Things we'll pursue to, to, to make our life count. Alright? And this is not going to be comprehensive. But I'm thinking particularly kind of in your stage of life and some things you can begin to focus on as you're, as you're gaining clarity in, in battling by faith, what we were talking about in the last few weeks. Okay? Let's start with the first one. We'll say, call it, call it this. It, it, would, it would involve establishing consistency and experience in the areas of previous temptation or trial. Now, I packed a lot into this first point. This could be like three points, right? <laughs> but the core idea is consistency and experience. I'll give you a chance to write that down before I move forward. Christ wants us, as we've been equipped with what this process looks like, how it works, he wants us to establish consistency in the process. And as we're doing that, he's going to grow us in our experience in the Christian life. And, in, and there's a couple categories here that, that, that are related. The previous temptations, those besetting sin areas that you've been working on, he wants you to establish consistency in those. And then also to understand trials and to be anticipating trials in the future and how he might use those in how he plans to use those in your life. So, if you've learned the process of fighting sin, if you've learned this process of exposing lies, of taking thoughts captive, getting after this battle in the truth, if you've got a battle plan, now you need battle experience. You need to work at continuing to implement what you know. And like I said, I've got two related categories here. We've talked a bit about this in previous lessons, so if this sounds familiar, um, good. It'll be some overlap. You'll need to develop consistency and experience in, in previous temptations, so those, pre, those previous areas of besetting sin. And you need to begin to see your moments of temptation as opportunities. Okay? As opportunities. Now, why would I say that? Because they're opportunities for your growth. Make sense? So we typically think, oh gosh, it's happening again, I'm tempted again. Oh no. But when this kind of viewpoint is setting in, you're going to see, oh wow, this is actually an opportunity for me to grow in maturity. These are tests from the Lord. He's not tempting us. The Bible says that the Lord doesn't tempt us because a temptation is the goal of that temptation is to get you to sin. But a test from the Lord is to get you to grow. And the Lord only tests us. He only, he only strengthens us, disciplines us for our good. But he's bringing these things to us 
for continued strengthening. And we see this over in Hebrews 5.14. We've looked at this verse a lot. This is a good verse to kind of commit to memory. Author of Hebrews says, Solid food is for the mature. So he's talking about deeper doctrine. It's for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, here it is, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here the author of Hebrews is saying that the mature person is somebody who is, they've had their, their discerning powers, that just means the ability to say that's good, that's evil, and I'm going to pursue the good. They've had those powers trained by constant practice, meaning by constantly choosing the good. We typically think our discernment's increased by more knowledge, which knowledge is important, right? Knowledge has to come first. We've got to know. But discernment is cemented in our lives when we actually choose, volitionally choose the good, or in other words, when we obey. So this is, that's how you grow up to maturity. So in other words, what I'm trying to say here, all I'm trying to say here is, as you are gaining consistency and experience, when you're tempted, the temptation has now become, is transformed by God as an occasion to build your spiritual muscle to give you an opportunity to put what you know into practice, to give, you, to give you that constant practice to grow your discernment to distinguish good from evil by choosing the good. And that's how you grow to maturity. So we've got to start seeing those temptations to lust or to be afraid or to whatever they may be, be to get angry, those recurring ir- irritants in our lives as opportunities. And that's, that's one of these first, this, this first pursuit, you know, of... Establishing consistency and experience. So it's not just in these previous temptations, though. We'll also need to develop consistency and experience in um, trials, okay? In trials. So tests come in many ways, right? Including difficulties in our lives and things that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. But these difficulties and trials are coming from God's good hand. We did a whole lesson on this talk about God's purpose in trials, but what I want to underscore right now is you've got to learn to see them as you're growing to maturity, you've got to learn to see them as coming from God for your good, and begin to anticipate these as opportunities for continued strengthening. And in in particular, you've got to learn to see them for what they are and choose to rejoice in those trials. Those difficulties. You see this very clearly in James 1 on the screen here. You see, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and, the steadfa- and, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I think this process is, is similar to kind of what Paul experienced with the thorn in the flesh. Hey, remember that? He was, he was given this thorn in the flesh. It was, Satan was, it was complex, okay? So Satan's the one that's bringing it about, but it's, it's God's providence, providentially in control. God's giving him this thorn in the flesh, even though Satan's carrying it out. It's for his good. He's praying that God would get it off him, you know, whatever it was. Get the, take the thorn out because it's, it's painful. It's hurting him. He prays multiple times for God to do that. But God brings him to this point of seeing what he's doing in the trial and how he's keeping him humble amidst all this ministry success 
And so he glories in it. Paul ends up coming to the point where he can glory in what the trial is producing in his life and the fruit that's, that's abounding to God's glory through the pain, through the difficulty, through the thing that he wished, humanly speaking, would be removed. So again, it's not wrong for us to wish that the difficulties and the, and the trials of life would be removed. It's not wrong for us to pray for them. But where we, where we need to get to, where we need to be moving toward, is if God's not relieving those burdens, we need to be counting it all joy. Not because we like pain, but because we like what God is producing. We, we value and, and, and cherish what God's producing in the trial. So that means then that, you know, one of the practical things that I've, I've said in that, that lesson is if you have some circumstances that you would change if you could. You know, if you're God and you could say, hey, I'm going to get that out of my life. Identify what those are. Right? Identify those. And then begin bringing those to God in prayer begin tracing out the fruitfulness that God is working in your life through those things, the opportunities he's giving you to bear glory, to bear witness to him and all kinds, of, all kinds of good things. And as you begin to do that, begin to actively rejoice, choose to rejoice, it's a choice, choose to rejoice in those things that God is bringing in your life. And that's how you count it all joy, like James says here. So, my point here, I'll kind of go back to that, uh, that first point, is we want to establish a consist, consistently viewing our trials and our temptations in this way. It's hard because it takes mind renewal to kind of think, think in these terms. It doesn't, it's not automatic. We've got, kind of, we've got to come back to these and continue to renew our minds and thinking rightly about, about these temptations and trials. And I, I kind of... I, you know, sometimes when I'm talking to people about this, it's sort of, I don't know if you guys like softball or baseball, but the Lord's kind of like in our trials and, and tests that he brings us, he's kind of lobbing us these softball pitches, you know, for us to, for us to crack, you know, because there's opportunities, you know, to hit, hit the ball. But so often, you know, we're sitting there, our bat's down, and we're kind of like looking around, and then the ball comes in, strike. You know, we're not even ready for it. We're not, we're not, we don't know that we're in the game. We don't know that we're playing. We don't know there's an opportunity to make a base hit or a home run. We're just standing there, you know, with our bat down. So the point, the mature person knows they're in the game. The mature person knows that God's going to be pitching these things to them and begins to anticipate the pitch, so to speak. And this is progressive, right? So we're all the time missing the ball, you know. We're, sometimes we're hitting it. So when you think about failure and, and fruitfulness here and how to respond to those things, you know, you think about failure as, okay, I just missed the pitch. Okay, I got to get back. Got to get back up. Got to get back in the in the box here. Got to go back to His mercy. I need to anticipate the next opportunity. I need to remember that I've not lost all the spiritual muscle that I've been gaining as I've been trying to obey by faith, and get back at it. Kind of get ready for the next pitch. Okay. And then when we we do obey, when we do hit the ball, so to speak, we praise Him for the growth. We praise Him for the fruitfulness, because He's producing that in us by His Spirit's power. So it just is an occasion for more praise and thanksgiving to God. But I just want to tell you that this is going to be, this, this first point is often a challenge. It's slow going, especially at the beginning. So don't be overly discouraged when it takes a while to kind of get some consistency in some of these besetting areas or, or even in how you view trials. Definitely don't give up in the, in the pursuit of the process. 
So it's like, you know, when you just start working out, are you really sore after that? Some of you are like, I don't know. Yes, you are really sore right after you start working out. So theoretically, if I were to start working out right now, I would be very sore, okay, um, the next day. But as you keep working out, what happens? You get less and less sore, right? Your body rebounds quicker. So that's the idea here, is that you're, you're just starting to work out this faith muscle. It's going to be difficult at, at, at the beginning, but God is training you. He's building you as he tests, as he tests you and as he, as he brings these trials. So kind of align yourself with, with that. All right, that would be the first pursuit. And again, simultaneously to this pursuit, okay, is what I would describe as applying what you've learned to other areas and situations of your life. Applying what you've learned to other areas and situations of your life. So, if you've done that deep dive in one area, maybe the, your, your besetting area, fear or lust or anger or resentment or whatever it may be, envy, as you've done that deep dive, as you've learned how to discern the lies of your old self, as you've learned to combat those lies with truth, as you've learned to yield your will to Christ, as you're learning, we should say, to yield your will to Christ in those moments. What's happened? What's happened in that? Well, you've, you've been provided, the Lord is providing you a template. Okay? A template for change. And it's a template that you can now apply to other areas of your life. Okay? So you can think of your life as sort of this renovation project that the Lord's undertaken. You know, we bought an old home about five years ago, I think, at this point. And uh, it was very, very old, and it needed a complete overhaul. Right? So the only problem was I didn't have any renovation experience when we started. And I'm, you know, at the time I was, you know, a very poor pastor, just getting started. So that means you're going to do a lot of the work yourself. And so I had to learn some things about renovation. Uh, so I had, thankfully, I had two, I have a father and a father-in-law who were very experienced and gave me a lot of help. They trained me in a lot of ways. But let's, let's say, okay, that God's actually now training you to, in this renovation project, to kind of work with him in the renovation, just like my father and father-in-law were training me and YouTube, right? So, we may have started in one room, let's say the kitchen, and learned how to do plumbing and electrical and install the trim and drywall and paint and even, maybe even lay some tile. So we learned that, I've been trained in that, and now they say it's time for you to do the bathroom. Right? So I take what I learned, everything I learned, and I apply those skills to the bathroom, the plumbing, the electrical, the tile, and all that's applied to the new room that needs renovating. So that's what God is doing in a spiritual way is you're learning to, let's say, take lust and battle that, take that to the ground and start making progress in that area. That becomes kind of the template. He's giving you the skills that are necessary to learn how to do this in another area of your life. If we go back to that, that week where we talked about that young man, as he's, as he's learned the lies that his, well, number one, that he's learned the fact that he has an old man and that old man is actively trying to deceive him, right? That's a huge win. 
and because now he's aware. He's aware that those, those things he's just telling himself, the real in his head, are actually lies from the flesh and his, his old man. So that he even has lies, that's, that's a win. And now he's learning to re- take those thoughts captive with the truth. So even that process, he's not going to be able to transfer. So when he's in sin over here and he's angry with his roommate, to realize, whoa, anger, this is a, this is a work of the flesh, this is not good, that means what? I'm believing a lie. I might not know what that is yet, but I know that's, that's there. So I can begin to think back through that. So again, you can just begin to apply this, this process to other areas of your life. This means that the mature person is not coasting because they've learned to fight just because they've learned to fight in one area. The fight is merely preparation for continued victory in all of life. The mature person does not let up. They're motivated now to continue looking carefully at their lives. They desire to gain ground for King Jesus. They desire to become more useful to redeem the time, to redeem the time of the one life that they have and to maximize that life for them. And we see this over in Ephesians 5 where Paul's exhorting these Ephesians to look carefully then, he says, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, he's saying, give careful attention to how you walk. That's the main command. Give careful attention to how you live. Examine your life, in other words, to make sure there's not patterns of unwise living, but patterns of wise living. That means you're making the best use of this time that God's given you, this short life, this redeeming the time. And how do we do that? By understanding what the will of the Lord is and by getting after His will in all the areas of our life. So the point here is just, we want to apply what we've learned in the besetting area to all the areas and situations of our lives. And that means then that you'll need to have a process for, for periodically reviewing your life, scanning the horizon, so to speak, for new territory that Christ can claim, that He wants to claim. New things that you can learn about and grow in. And now, you've been equipped to do that. Alright, another pursuit that's happening simultaneously here is what I call clarifying and maximizing spiritual giftedness in serving others. Clarifying and maximizing spiritual giftedness in serving others. Now, when you talk about spiritual gifts, that's like a series in itself, isn't it? It is. So, nobody answered my question. It is a series in itself. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm considering taking us through that. I don't want to get the cart out before the horse here, but I still have to think through next semester with Rich, but I'm considering this as one of the options to study at some point. But the only thing I'm trying to say here is that if you're a believer, what came with your salvation is a gift package. Christ redeemed you to use you. And He's gifted you in the exact way that He desires to use you. So for us then, as we're making progress out of being ensnared, out of these besetting sins... If somebody's helping to restore us, they're restoring us to something. They're restoring us to usefulness. And in particular, it's usefulness in serving others. So I want you just to see uh, some places where we're, we're told that we have gifts and we're commanded to use those gifts. Okay? 
we'll look at the first one, Romans 12. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, here's the command, let us use them. And now he spells out a sampling of some of these gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So this implies that there will be certain areas of the Christian life that God has gifted us in. Which means we're going to excel in those areas more than other areas. Doesn't mean that, you know, because I don't have the gift of service, then therefore I don't serve. You know? But it means that if I have the gift of service, I'm going to excel in that. Or if I have the gift of teaching, I'm going to excel in that. Just because a dad doesn't have the gift of teaching doesn't mean he can't teach his kids, right? He's not going to be as good at it as the pastor who has the gift of teaching. So the gifts, God has he's given us gifts, he's wired us in certain ways to excel in certain areas. And he's commanded us to use them, to get after exercising those gifts for the good of others. So that means then we've got to kind of know what these are, and we have to, to obviously maximize those gifts. All right, another text here. So Paul kind of lists some out. There's other ones in Ephesians 4 and in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, if you're talking about Paul. He probably gives us the most extensive teaching on the gifts. Um, but Peter does too. Uh, over in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, As each has received a gift, here's, here it is again, use it to serve one another. There's a really con- concise way of saying the purpose of the gifts is service. It's not for our fulfillment. It's so that the body's built up. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And he categorizes them into two overarching groups. Whoever speaks and whoever serves, right? Speaking and serving, kind of headings for the, for the spiritual gifts. And he tells us to do that by God's strength and so that God would be glorified. So my point here is just we have gifts and part of being a mature person is clarifying those, and maximizing spiritual giftedness and serving others. Now, this raises all kinds of practical questions. One of the most practical questions is, how do you discover your spiritual gift? Right? Well, here's some practical advice on how to go about doing this. The one thing I say, I always tell people where to start, especially young folks, is just get really busy loving people in the body of Christ. Just Throw yourself full on into the body of Christ and love people however you can in whatever opportunities the Lord gives you to do that. And then begin to think about and observe what do I gravitate toward when I do that, right? What do I gravitate toward as I think about loving others in the body? How do I envision that? You know, if I kind of had my druthers, what would that look like? So, you know, some person might think, okay, if I say, you know, I say, hey, there's a person over there, they're in need, go love that person. You know, if your immediate thought is, oh, I want, I want to go figure out how I can meet their needs materially, right? You might have the gift of giving, even if you're poor, right? If someone over there, you perceive that someone is suffering, and you think, we've got to come around them, we've got to come alongside them, we've got to help them, hold them up, you probably have the gift of mercy, Right? 
If your first thought is, oh man, I bet they're believing lies. I want to come alongside them and help, help shore them up and help get the truth to them. Probably have the gift of teaching, discernment. So my point there is we're going to gravitate towards certain things in the body. And those certain gravitational pulls are probably the areas that we're gifted. And then as you're serving others, as you're loving others in the body, ask your friends, ask the people that are around you, ask your mentors, where do you see me thriving? Where do I seem to excel? Where is God producing fruit through my service? Where do I seem to serve in the most effective ways? Okay? And once, as you grow, this might take some, some years to develop in your thinking. It might be more instantaneous for you. You might see it very clearly. But once you kind of get an idea of where you're gifted, then you want to be thinking about maximizing that gifting. Maximizing it. Okay? What do I mean by that? I mean you're leveraging that gift to its maximal potential. So that means you've got, to lush, you've got to learn to choose between what's good and what's best when it comes to your time and, and how you serve. Okay? And again, when you're, when you're younger in the faith, you're just serving however you can. But as you see these gifts kind of begin to take root and, and the Lord's confirming these giftings, then it's like, hey, I'm a hand, so I need to try to do what hands do in the body. And I don't need to try to be a foot, even though if there's a, there's a hole and it needs to be filled and it's the duty of a foot, and I might not be one. I'm still going to try to do that and meet that need until a foot comes along. You know, but right now, you know, maybe I'm a foot and I don't know it. You know, so it's, I know it's kind of weird, like Picasso, right? It's like, whoa, what's going on? Um, weird imagery. My point there is just you want to try to thrive in the areas that God's gifted you and learn to maximize those because you can enhance your gifting through experience in serving. All right? Another thing you could do practically is kind of yoke yourself up with somebody who's gifted, who is more experienced and more mature than you in the area that you want to, that you want to grow in and learn from them how to maximize your gift. Because you can't just think, oh, I'm gifted, you know, I'm ready to serve. It's like, okay, yeah, you might be gifted, but there's probably still a lot of pride there. You know, we probably need to work some of that out. And you need to learn from someone who's ahead of you how to be hospitable, how to open their home up, what they do. How does that work? If you're gravitated, like, man, I really want to do that. Then find somebody who's doing that well and learn from them. If you're the gift of teaching, find somebody who teaches well. Get in their back pocket. Analyze their sermons. Have them send you their manuscripts. Start learning. Like, you maximize your gifting. Okay? It's not just automatic. It takes work and effort. So, that would be another pursuit of this maturing and fruitful life is a clarification of the gifts and a maximizing of spiritual giftedness. Just curious. Would that be a helpful series? Yeah? Okay. Good to know. You know, I, I sometimes veto votes, so. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Keep moving. Um, no, I, it's, it's on my heart. I think it needs a lot of clarity. I, I actually want to study it, too, so there's a high likelihood that we'll, we'll look at that. All right, so one last thing we want to say here, is, and we've talked about this before, is um, this last sort of simultaneous pursuit is influencing others in what you've learned. All right? Influencing others in what you have learned. So you can think of this as like influence in, in both uh, edification, like in the church, you're influencing people in within the, like other Christians within your church, but then you're also influencing unbelievers in evangelism. 
So all of this is happening, and we, we become much more effective in this as we're growing. And as, we're, as we've applied everything we've talked about in previous weeks. So you see this really clearly in Luke 6 as a general principle. Uh, won't read the whole thing. You can kind of write that down. But basically the, the principle is, we think of this log in the eye principle as like just the, the, hip, the, the hypocrisy text. Which is, I mean, it is what it is. You know, you can't be trying to help people when you've got this massive beam sticking out of your face. So Jesus is saying you've got to get this log out, your sin pattern, humble yourself, begin to deal with that. And then he says you're going to actually be able to see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Take out the speck. So the point is not that we shouldn't remove specks. The point is that we need to see clearly to be able to remove specks. Right? And that happens through uh, fighting by faith, that repentance process and learning to battle our sin patterns. That's going to give us spiritual clarity to see into others' lives and to help them with their sin struggles. Okay? General principle, Luke 6. Specifically, we see this in, in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.25, therefore, having put away falsehood, okay, to use Jesus' language, having taken the log out of your eye, right? Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So, when you put away lies, you now have clarity in truth, and you can now speak that truth, you can live a truthful life and and be truthful with with each other in in the body. So, here it is, you see a specific application toward other church members. And that's the idea here, the edification application. So that means then that as you're growing in Christ, as you're getting clarity, as you're battling sin, God's wanting you, His his goal for you is to begin to influence people right here in the church. What does that look like? Well, let's say, you know, you previously thought you were a codependent person, but then the Lord began to work in your life and you realize, wow, I really struggle with fear of man. I see the idolatry of this. I'm learning to repent of this. I'm learning to fear God above man. And then you're kind of getting, you, you, you work through that whole process. You learn how it's manifested in your life. And then, nah, nah, nah. guess what happens when you're in a conversation and somebody's like, I really struggle with codependency. Like, oh, wow. So do you feel like you need other people? Yeah. Like, is it, you know, is it hard for you to make decisions sometimes because you got to let people, you're going to let people down? People are like, yeah. How'd you know that? And then you can just kind of rattle off different things because it's like, well, that's the same about me. And actually the Bible addresses that. And it does it in these passages. And here's the lies that we believe. I mean, you're not going to drown them in that moment. But the point is that you're going to know that. Why? Because that's what the Lord took you through. That's what he's going to do. And so now you've put away falsehood, Ephesians 4.25. You've absorbed truth. You're learning to live by it. And now you're going to have clarity. And you're going to be able to see where people are struggling. One of the reasons we are so overwhelmed when it comes to trying to counsel or help other people is because we're not that mature. That's significant. We don't have a lot of clarity. And so we're not able to give a lot of clarity to people. But as God's growing us, the flip side of that is that as you put the work in in your own life, boy, the clarity is going to be there. doesn't mean you don't feel overwhelmed. You always feel overwhelmed when you're trying to help people. But at least there's clarity. All right? Now, let's apply it to the unbelievers here. Real quick. Specific application toward unbelievers This is a super interesting text because it's in the context of, of fighting lust and sexual sin. And in this, he's applying, you know, in, in this chapter, Paul's going on and he's applying this 
this transformation process to specific areas, and one of them is this lust area in Ephesians 5. And he says here in part of this chapter, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So part of the person who was, who was consumed by lust is to be getting after it, putting those things to death. He says that earlier in the chapter. And then he says down here that there needs to be an active exposure happening by that person who's been liberated in the, in the culture. He says, For shamefully to speak of the things they do in secret, talking about unbelievers, but when anything is exposed by the light, meaning by the truth, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, the call to the unbeliever, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In other words, the person who's been, has repented of sexual sin, thinking in lustful ways, hasn't been loving others well, as that person is redeemed and renovated by Christ, now by their life, by their actions, and by their words, they are light to the unbelievers around them. Which means, part of what we do is we expose the deceptions of people who are dead in their sins. Right? And that's either going to mean they're going to repent and trust Christ, or they're going to get angry. It's, it's, and again, I'm not saying be rude and come in there and just guns blazing, but I, you know, there's lots that we could talk about with evangelism and how to do that. But the point is that our transformation is going to lead to the exposure of unbelievers, as God intends, both in what we do and what we say. And so, my major point here is that influencing others is what we want to be growing in in a mature life. Someone who is mature is able to be that spiritual person of Ephesians 6, 1, and bring that restoration to the person who's ensnared. All right? There's a lot more we could say on this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it here. I'm sure you have questions. That's our final wrap-up. These are some of these additional pursuits, kind of a where-do-we-go-from-here sermon. It's the path forward to an incredibly fruitful life for the believer. It's the mature life. So, if you have questions, you know, obviously, love to try to field some of those for you. Just either grab me now or after the service, the main service, and uh, love to field some of those, all right? It's been a helpful study. All right, you're not going to see the, the growing up mantra anymore, you know, from the, from, the, uh, from the PowerPoint. So we'll be done with this semester. All right, you're dismissed.